Father God, we lift up these requests to you. We thank you so much that you are a God who hears um, what, what to us could sound like chaos, and you hear every voice. The prayers of your people are precious to you. Thank you that you've brought us into your family as your children. We thank you for the children that you've entrusted to us, for those of us who are parents, and for all of us as a church family. Father, we pray for Lori. We pray that you give her energy and passion and insight into how to lead this ministry. Father, we pray for the workers, um, the the servant-hearted people who are with these kids, that you give them a deep love for the kids and a deeper love for you. And Father, we pray for these kids that you've entrusted to us. We pray that in all the, the competitors for their attention and for their affections, that you will win out, that you will show yourself to be present and to be more compelling than anything else that they encounter. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And, and you can grab your seat again as we continue on. And you know, as, as we took the time to do that, um, it's obviously great having Lori up here and getting to hear about that ministry. One of the reasons why getting to do that was timely is because this morning we're starting a series that's going to run for three weeks. It's called Raise Them Up. And this series is specifically focused on what is at the core of parenting for those of us who are Christians. Um, and a, a lot of you know, after these three weeks, right, right after the last week of the series, which will be on March 1st, the following Saturday is our parenting conference, which I know a bunch of you have already signed up for. Um, probably some of you still are thinking about it. Um, some of you, maybe you're, you're not quite sure you want to go. I, I just want to give a plug on this real quick. This is going to be such a meaningful time for those of us who have our kids still in the home, for us to look at what God is calling us to do, to get very practical with how we live this out. And also, it's an opportunity for us to come together to support one another. If we are going to make the decisions that it takes for us to parent our kids in a godly way, we need that support for one another. And, and I just want to throw this out. If, if, you, if you're hearing the announcements about the conference and you're thinking, all right, well, that sounds nice, but it's a little bit of an inconvenience because we've got to figure out with the kids or we've got to adjust some schedule things. I, I just really want to encourage you, make this worth the inconvenience. If childcare really is an issue with it, Phyllis said, come talk to him, we will help you figure it out. But if you're looking at this and saying, well, that'd be nice, but we're not willing to go to the trouble for this you will be glad you went to the trouble for this. This is a great thing for us to come together and say, we are going to follow Jesus' lead for us in the difficult area of parenting. And before getting into the passage for this morning, I I do just want to say there's probably some of you that that are thinking, okay, a, a parenting series, great, this is what I want, we're in the fire of this, we're in the midst of this, this is really going to help. And there's probably some of you that are either thinking, well, I don't have kids or my kids are grown. I guess I've got three weeks of just kind of checking my phone during the message or waiting this out. And I want to give you, if right now you're looking at this and saying, all right, this isn't hitting me as directly, I want to give you a couple of things that I want to challenge you to do during these three weeks. Um, And the first thing I want to challenge you to is to remember, for those of us who are in the midst of this, who are in the fires of figuring this out, this is such an important thing to talk about that you have the opportunity to support 
this being focused on for people who are in the fire of it. But the other thing that I want to encourage you to, and and really, uh, maybe I'm wrong, I don't think it's going to be difficult for those of you that don't have kids in the home to see validity and application in everything that we're going to be talking about. And the reason is because Christian parenting is not segregated aside from the rest of Christian living. You know who's at the center of Christian parenting? Jesus is. You know who's at the center of Christian living? Jesus is. Everything that we're going to be talking about, while it will have some specific applications for those of us who are parents, it's going to be pointing all of us back to the reality of what it looks like for us to live our lives with God as King. And so with that said, I want to invite you to open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And so if you have a Bible, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible, so pretty early on in the Old Testament. Um, If you have a phone and you're just using your phone for your Bible, you can type it in there. And if you don't have either of those, you can look up on the screen and the verses will scroll through as I read them. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is God's Word. And as we get into this passage, let let, let me just try to get us up to speed of where we are. Moses is speaking these words as the Israelites are getting ready to enter into the promised land. So they were slaves in Egypt. God miraculously broke them free from the Egyptians by showing his wonders through all the plagues. He brought them up to the foot of the Red Sea and then parted it so that they walked through on dry land. Then they wandered in the wilderness being led by God for 40 years and now they're ready to enter into the promised land. And as they're ready to enter into the promised land, Moses gives us these verses that we just read. And the reason he's giving us these verses is because Moses is afraid of something. And if you don't like the word afraid, let's just say concerned. Moses has a deep concern. And the fact that this is in the Bible also shows us this is a deep concern of God. This isn't just a random concern of Moses. Moses is going to be talking about all of these things because there's something that he's afraid could happen with the Israelites as they enter into the land. And by the way, I know you don't need to be a parent to deal with fear and concern, but those of you who are parents, do you ever deal with fear and concern of your kids? Hey, every so often, maybe. (laughs) Moses has a deep concern of something that could happen as they enter the land. And here's the good news. We don't have to guess what his concern is because he tells us in the verses following what we just read, starting in verse 10 of chapter 6. He says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, 
houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. Did you hear the fear there? Be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Things are going to be good. You're no longer going to be wandering out in the desert. You're no longer going to be slaves in Egypt. You're not going to be hungry all the time. You're not going to be fighting with enemies all the time. Life is going to be good. And when life is good, Israel, do you know what you're going to be tempted to do? You're going to be tempted to forget about God. And you could look at this and say, how could that possibly happen? I mean, while, while a generation has gone by, many of the adults at this time were children and saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw them being led out of slavery in Egypt. They've experienced God providing manna in the desert, and they've experienced Him providing water from rocks. How in the world could there be a very real danger that they would forget about God? And yet at the same time, if you've read the history of Israel, did they forget about God? They constantly forgot about God. Now, now let's just take another step with this. If this first generation of Israelites who saw these wonders of God was in danger of forgetting about God, how much danger do you think the next generation was in? They're just taking mom and dad's word for it that the Red Sea split in half. They're just taking mom and dad's word for it that hailstones came down and that the Nile turned to blood. They didn't see it firsthand. This is a reminder, man, if the Israelites were in danger of forgetting God, this is a reminder to us that every single one of us who's sitting in this room is in danger of forgetting about God. And you might think, not me, no way, but let me just tell you, there's people who attended church more frequently than you did, read the Bible more consistently than you have, and have a deeper Christian heritage than you do, and who have still forgotten about God and walked away. We are all in danger of forgetting about the Lord. And part of the sad thing about it is that we weren't just brought out of physical slavery in Egypt. We were brought out of the spiritual slavery of sin and death. We have been forgiven. We have been redeemed and made free by the payment of Jesus Christ, the ultimate Passover lamb who was sent to set us free. We have had God work in our lives profoundly and we're in danger of forgetting about God. If we're in danger of forgetting about God, how much more the next generation maybe hasn't yet experienced what we've experienced. We're all in danger of forgetting about God. And so when it comes to the calling of parents and for all of us with the next generation, the reality that we need to take in is that the core calling of parenting is to direct all attention to God. And let me just be clear on this. If you're a parent, your deepest calling is not to make sure your kids get into a good college, even though that'd be great. Your deepest calling is not to maximize your kids' earning power, 
even though you'd like them to have a steady job. Your ultimate goal is not even to make sure that your kids get married and have stable families, even though I know you want grandkids. The ultimate calling for those of us who are parents is to direct all of our kids' attention towards God so that we're living out the reality that we haven't forgotten about God and so that they have an opportunity to get in on that. And through this passage, what Moses is going to unveil is really two parts to this reality, two parts to this calling to direct all of the attention of the next generation towards God. And the first part of the calling comes in verses 4, 5, and 6. The first thing that Moses is going to tell us, which easily applies to all of us, not just to parents, is give your heart to God. Every single one of us, our ultimate calling, give your heart to God. And for those of us who are parents, this is a stark reminder. You cannot give your kids something that you don't have. Verse 4 starts us off. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And here, Deuteronomy 6, 4, this is really the center of Old Testament life. This became the key passage of Scripture that the the Jewish people would allude to. Jesus alludes to this passage in the Gospels. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 is in many ways the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament. It's the verse they kept alluding back to, that they based things off. At every Jewish football game, there was some guy in the end zone with a sign, Deuteronomy 6, 4. (laughs) This is the key Old Testament passage. And, And as you look at it, it's simple, but it is at the center of Jewish life. Hear, O Israel, listen up. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And first of all, It's not just a statement that there's only one God, although that alone was a big statement in the ancient Near East. The surrounding nations would have had a different God for fertility, a different God for the harvest, a different God for war, and different gods for all different facets of life, and sacrifices were offered to all those gods. And Moses is making clear, Yahweh, the one true God, He is the one God. And part and parcel along with this is, if He is the one God, He is the only God we make sacrifices to. He is the only God who gets all of our affection, all of our attention, all of our worship. It's not just that He's the only God, but we are going to live out the reality that all of our commitment goes to that one God, which flows right in to verse 5 that Jesus also quoted in the Gospels. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. If there's only one God and that one God who brought the Israelites out out of physical slavery and brought Christians out of spiritual slavery, if there is one God, then we're going to give him all of our love. We're going to give him, Lori already talked about this when she was up here, which doesn't just mean we're going to feel great about him. It means that we're going to obey him. Love and obedience always go hand in hand. Love and commitment, love and devotion. We are going to give all of our love to that God. In fact, we're going to love him with all of our heart. And I know for us, we we usually associate the heart with emotions, 
But for the Jewish people, the heart not only had to do with emotions, it had to do with the mind and with the will. It's often talked about as the control center of all that we do. It's the overarching idea, not just with your emotions, but with your decisions and your thoughts, you're going to love God. And then he says, not only with your heart, but with your soul and with your strength. And there's different ways of understanding kind of what each of those signify, but one way of understanding it is that the soul is talking about the inner person, the invisible person that you can't see, and the strength is talking about the outward physical person. Your inner invisible person, the personality, the thoughts, the affections, all those things, the outer person, the work that you do, the physical activities that you do, inside and outside, you are to love God with all that you have. Israel was coming into a land where, frankly, what Moses is telling them to do, it would have sounded a little bit risky because the nations around them kind of spread out. They kind of hedged their bets. Well, we're going to offer some sacrifices to the God of war to make sure we're safe, but let's not neglect the God of fertility because we want children also. And if while that's happening, the God of rain sees us doing that and gets upset, let's offer the God of rain some sacrifices too so that our crops get rain and they end up growing and we have a harvest. The surrounding nations worshiped many gods and the Israelites are called when you need the harvest, when you need victory in battle, when you need children, whatever's going on, you are bringing all of those requests and all of those sacrifices to the one true God. And so let's just talk about us for a second. We, we in our culture, because we're in a very secular, kind of materialistic culture, um, we're not heavily tempted to go and get physical idols and bow down to them. That's not a big temptation in our culture. There would be other cultures around the world where that might be a bigger pull. We're not highly tempted by that, so it's easy for us to think idolatry is a thing of the past. Idolatry is not a thing of the past, because one of the signs of an idol is that an idol is something that you make sacrifices to. Now, let me just make it clear. Just because you sacrifice for something doesn't mean that it's an idol. It doesn't mean that you're treating it as a competitor to God. Um, we make sacrifices about all kinds of things. We sacrifice our money for a meal that we want to get. We sacrifice sleep to stay up late with a sick child. We sacrifice a little bit more of our money for, for our kids to go to a certain school, whatever it is. We make sacrifices all the time, and that doesn't mean that the things that we're sacrificing for are competitors to God. But here's one of the ways that you can tell that something has become an idol and a competitor to God. It's if you're offering that thing sacrifices that should be offered only to God. It happens in all areas of life. It can happen with your work. Your work can become an idol. It can happen with possessions where they can become idols. But because of what we're focusing on during these weeks, let's just take as a case study parenting. Um, if you're a parent, are you going to have to make sacrifices to be a good parent for your kids? Of course you are. You're going to have to make all kinds of sacrifices. The question is not whether you need to sacrifice to be a good parent. The question is, are you going to sacrifice things to your kids that ultimately belong only to God? Let's just get real personal about this. 
God, I know that you call us to gather with your people. And you say that it's hugely important that my identity is wrapped up in being part of the people of God, part of the church of Jesus Christ. But God, the sports season includes Sunday. And I don't know for sure, but I think my kid might be the next LeBron James. And I don't want him to miss out on any opportunities to cultivate that. So God, I know what you say about this, but in order to be a good parent, I've got to sacrifice Sunday mornings to make sure my kids can play sports. And it's not just sports. It could be music also. Some of you are doing both. You could say, you know what? I know that it would be helpful for us to have some evenings at home so that we had some family stability. I know that it would be great if every so often we were around the dinner table and we were reading the Bible as Phil talked about and and we're sharing different things and we're shepherding our kids and maybe having family devotions. I know all that would be really good, but my kid, I'm not sure. I think she might be the next Beyonce. So I don't want to squelch that potential at all. I want to give her every opportunity to cultivate that. And you know, God, I don't know for sure, but my kid might be smart enough to get into Stanford. So we got to get him into every possible academic program. We don't want to sell our kids short. So you know what? Even if that means being out every evening and chasing them around, even if that means we're never gathered around the dinner table together, even if that means most Sundays are optional for us to show up at church, we got to do what we got to do to be good parents, right? Are you offering things to your kids that ultimately belong to God? And by the way, I I think I just need to say, it's, it's very tempting for us to say we do these things because we love our kids so much. And I just wanna say, I think that that's often what we tell ourselves because it's more pleasant to believe that than to tell ourselves the truth that many times we do these things because we desperately want our kids to like us. And I want my kids to like me. It's much more pleasant to have my kids like me than to have my kids not like me. But something that shouldn't be deeply profound to us is the reality that if you're going to be a good parent, you have to have seasons where your kids, where you have incurred your kids' wrath, where you're willing to do things that make your kids mad, and maybe even that one of the reasons you're making your kids mad is because you're communicating to them the reality, God is the center of our lives. Just imagine this for a moment. Um, I'll just say your kids are, are, are not likely to take God more seriously than you do. But what if years from now, you heard one of your kids complaining about you and say, man, I was so mad. I was so mad at mom and dad. I was so mad at them because I was really good at soccer and I really wanted to play on this club team and it was going to be fun and my friends were playing on it and we were all ready to sign up. But then mom and dad found out that the games are on Sundays and they put an end to it. And I was so mad and I complained and I yelled and I told them that they were just the worst. But mom and dad stuck by their guns and told us that God and his church are more important than soccer. What if years from now, you heard one of your kids complaining and say, man, there was a year where we absolutely begged mom and dad to get us Disney passes. 
We wanted him so bad and our friends had Disney passes and we loved going to Disneyland and we knew mom and dad loved going to Disneyland too. So we pulled out all the stops, we put on the full core press, we really tried to get him to get us Disney passes. And at the end of the day, they crunched the numbers, but they came back to us and said, no, we're not gonna do Disney passes because if we do, we won't be able to faithfully give financially to our church and to overseas missions. Mom and dad made us so mad by showing us that God was more important than that kind of recreation. Be willing to incur the wrath of your kids in order to show them that God is at the center. It's very unlikely that your kids are going to take God more seriously than you do. God says to the Israelites, love God with all that's in you. And there's one more thing, and and this is something I do need to comment on in verse six. He says, to wrap up this part of the section, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. He comes back to that. And again, the, the, the reason I wanna clarify this is because it would be easy for us to read that and say, what Moses is saying is feel a certain way about God. And then you might even feel guilty by saying, I don't always feel real strongly towards God. Sometimes I show up Sunday morning to church, and if I'm honest, I didn't even really want to come. And then we do this time of music, and I'm kind of going through the motions, or I'm not necessarily feeling something real deep, and I'm kind of waiting for it to be over. Sometimes I open up my Bible and try to read it in the mornings, and I'm not really feeling it. In fact, I'd I'd really rather not do it, and I kind of feel guilty that I'm doing something that I don't really want to do. Let me just say, we're living in a culture right now that makes us believe that we are a victim of our feelings and of the whims of our feelings. Emotions are from God. They're not evil. But the emotions are not God himself. And if you walk with Jesus for any length of time, man, there's going to be some Sunday mornings where nothing and no one could drag you away from showing up at church and pouring out your worship to God. And you're going to be all in. You're going to be thinking about how much he's forgiven you. You're going to be overjoyed with his provision for you. It's just going to explode in worship. You're going to have all the feelings right there. And there are also going to be Sunday mornings where it's the last thing that you want to do. There are going to be days where you get up to crack open that Bible or to have a time in prayer. And man, there's nowhere you'd rather be. The TV isn't even a temptation. Nothing else could keep your attention from God because you're so excited about digging into how he's going to speak to you. Then there will also be days where it is the absolute last thing you want to do to crack open the Bible and you find yourself consistently checking your phone every four seconds because of the pull of doing anything else. That's what I want to say. Don't wait to give your heart to God until you feel like giving your heart to God. Give your heart to God. Love him with all that's in you. He is the one who set you free. He is the one true God. And he is the one that in the end will make every step of faith that you've taken for him worth taking. Give your heart to God because we all belong to him. And because as parents, you can't give your kids something that you don't have. Give your heart to God is part number one. Part number two in verses seven, eight, and nine is give God to the next generation. And I wanted to word this specifically. It's not just give God to your children, although for us as parents, this really has very direct application. 
Our job, a big part of our job as this church is to make sure we are giving God to the kids who have been entrusted to this church family. They may not yet have experienced him in the way that we have. So we need to do everything that we can to direct their attention to him. And Moses says that in verse 7. He says, impress them. Speaking of the commandments, impress the commandments on your children. And that word impress, it almost, it conjures the idea of sort of a stamp or an imprint that our kids would be marked by the reality of God. Impress these commands on your children. And then he says, you should talk about them all the time. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. And in the ancient Near East, guess what? If you weren't sitting at home, you know where you were? You were walking along the road. If you weren't walking along the road, you know where you were? You were sitting at home. You getting the point? All the time, whatever you're doing. Talk about them when you lie down and when you get up. Talk about them at night and at day. If it's not night, it's day. If it's not day, it's night. And I think what Moses is pointing towards is, first of all, all right, there are going to be times where there's formal teaching, formal instruction for our children. Some of that happens in the context of the church. Some of that may happen at home where you say, oh, we're going to go through a family devotional, or we're just going to get out the Bible, and, and, and every night that we're together at dinner or every morning before the kids go off to school, we're just going to read a little bit. We're just going to consistently point them towards the reality of God, and we're going to bring it up not only in formal conversations, but informally also. We're just going to chat about who God is. We're going to chat about the beauty of creation. We're going to give constant reminders of how thankful we are to Him. And we pray before meals just to remember that even these things that we think we've provided for ourselves, God has really provided for us. Formally and informally, we're going to talk about God all the time, which in many ways is pointing towards the reality that Moses is saying to the Israelites, make God king of your routine. Now, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, is God really the center of our routines? And some of you right now, maybe you're even hearing some of these things and you're thinking, well, that would be nice. I mean, man, it it would be nice, the things that you're talking about, the dinner table conversations, but I don't remember the last time that we were all sitting together around the dinner table. I don't remember the last time that we did that because we have activities every night. Here's what you need to take in. You may need to drop some things from your schedule if God is going to be king of your routine. If your routine is so full that you are not regularly able to spend time with your kids where you are giving them God, then something's got to drop. And by the way, right now, some of you might even be thinking about it. You're like, all right, which thing should drop? I'm just going to throw out there, the thing that you're thinking, we definitely won't drop this, that may be the thing to drop. (laughs) Because that thing might just be too important to you. It might be time to really draw a line in the sand and say, all right, we are going to demonstrate to our kids that we're going to make our parenting about the core not about the peripheral things. Yeah, we do want them to have activities. We do want them to have friends. We do want them to do well in school. But all of that is peripheral to making sure that we give them God. He says, make God king of your routine. And in verses 8 and 9, he also, in a way, says, make God king of your environment. Tie them, once again, the commandments, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. 
Now, Moses is almost certainly speaking metaphorically here, but some of you know the Jews actually centuries later literally started doing this. They created something called phylacteries, which are these small boxes that contain Scripture inside of them, and they would tie them to their hands and to their foreheads. In fact, sometimes on Jewish holidays, you'll still see people doing this. But the idea behind this is not necessarily, I don't think that God was like upset that they did this literally, but the idea behind this is that it's near your head because God's commands are always on your mind. It's near your hand because it's driving all the activities, all the work of your hands. Everything that you're doing is surrounded by this. And not only that, in verse 9, he says, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And the Jews, once again, centuries later, did this literally again. They created something called a mezuzah, which is a, just a small lintel that they put on their door frame that would contain Scripture inside of this. Many Jewish households still have this today. The idea was that in your surroundings, make God king. Have reminders even in your home. Have reminders in your physical space. Think about the art that's up on your wall. Think about the pictures. Think about the kids' bedrooms. Think about where the Bibles are stored. Think about the way that you're using your space to point your kids toward the reality of God. Everything that you do, you want your kids to be thinking about God. So work it into your schedules. And you know what? Sometimes that might mean just having regular times that you're reading the Bible with your kids. And if you're intimidated to sort of comment on it also, you know what? Just reading it is getting them God's Word. And if you're nervous about what to do next, go on Amazon and search for any of 6,000 great family devotionals. Choose one. Start with something. For us in our family, we we consistently have looked at dinner time and bedtime as key times with our kids. Dinner time when we're gathered around, sometimes we'll read scripture, sometimes we'll read from a catechism or a devotional, sometimes we'll just talk. And then bedtime is always a time of prayer and reflection on the day. Use key times with your kids. And part of what I want to encourage you with, because part of this is us making this our own, is to recognize, man, parenting Parenting is, is like trench warfare. I mean, parenting, parenting is not flashy. You don't get quick results in what you do. You're just, you're, you're chipping away. You're chipping away. You're sowing seeds. You're sowing seeds. You're waiting for the harvest. You don't know what's working. You're throwing out the scripture to your kids. You're talking to them about your life. You're talking to them about the ways that God has been at work. And you just don't know what's sticking. You don't know what's working. You involve them in the activities of the church so that they're around other believers also. You, you just don't always know what's happening. And sometimes you go years and years and you're not sure what's sinking in. But I just also want to encourage you A lot of times, then you get glimpses. God is merciful enough. He gives you glimpses of the fact that these things are hitting home. And right around Christmas time, God blessed us with the glimpse that just really encouraged our hearts. And uh, we we were up in Oregon around Karina's side of the family. And when we were there, Karina's dad led us. It was around Christmas time. So he led us in a time of reflecting on the last year and just talking about what we're thankful to God about. And so the adults all started sharing and shared some different things, and then the kids started sharing. 
And our 12-year-old son, Jack, decided to say something. And for those of you who don't know, um, we've, we've lived down here in California for about a little over eight years now. And before that, for eight years, we lived right up there in Oregon. And so Matt and Jack, our two oldest, grew up, their opening years were right around their grandparents, which was awesome. And when we left to come down here, it was difficult. And, uh, and Jack said, I have something to say. And he said, you know, when we moved to California from here, it was really sad. And he said, but I really feel like God called us to go there. It was just one of those moments where you're like, nobody say anything. <laughs> nobody, oh my gosh. It was, and, and I joke about it a little bit, but man, it was such a profound moment. This, this was not, nobody was feeding him a line. Nobody was telling him he wasn't imitating something. And he, here's the deal. I don't know what made that reality happen. I, I can't point back to one conversation or one bedtime thing or one scripture reading or one sermon or anything like that. Somewhere along the line, something stuck on the wall with him. And his grid for reality now is that following God's calling for us is more important than staying comfortable in life. God gives you the glimpses that the sowing that you're doing is going to bring a harvest. And I wish I could say it was a guaranteed harvest. I, I wish I could say that I have full assurance that all my kids will love Jesus for their whole lives. Man, I pray for that, and I hope that that's the reality. There's not a guarantee in this. And some of you who have adult kids, you've experienced the grief of the fact that your kids aren't walking with Jesus. And sometimes you look back and you feel like, well, maybe that's my fault with regrets. And sometimes you say, I don't think it's my fault. I I try to do good things. We can't sort all of that out. Our kids are not guaranteed to love Jesus just because we do. And they're not guaranteed to love Jesus just because we've done all we can to give them God. But if the next generation is want, if we want to give them a chance, their best chance, we've got to first of all give our hearts to God. And then secondly, we've got to give God to them. And I know I said this before, man, if, if you're not a parent at all, this still absolutely has application to you because maybe as you're hearing this, you're thinking, you know what? I have oriented my routine and my money and my schedule around other things, and it's time to bring it back to the idea that God is at the center. And maybe for some of you, the application of this is very specific to parenting, and that you're looking at this message and saying, it's time to make some changes. Here's what we're going to do for the last part of the service, and this is something that we've done before, but it's been a little while. Um, In a minute, I'm going to ask some of you to, to just stand where you are, to not come forward, but just stand where you are. And I'm going to invite you to stand if you feel like, you know what, there's something God is calling me to do in response to this, and I want to do it. And maybe that's as simple as just saying, you know what, I've really given my affections to other things. I want to bring my full love to God. Maybe it has to do with the fact that you're looking at your parenting and you're saying, you know what, we do need to drop some things. And we're overwhelmed and we're not sure what it is, but, but we just need to make a decision. Things aren't bad with our kids, but man, we want to really be all in. And so it's going to be an opportunity for you to stand and say, I'm all in. And for some of you, it might be even more specific where you know right now, God has made it clear to you, I know exactly what we're supposed to do, but man, I'm daunted about doing it. And when you stand, here, here's what's going to happen. When you stand, some people who are around you, I'm just going to invite them, gather around you, put a hand on the shoulder, put a hand around you, and just 
pray for you because you are taking a step of faith saying, I'm ready to respond to what God is saying to me now. So I'm going to ask right now, if you feel like God is calling you to respond in some way to this message, go ahead and stand where you are as we get ready to do this. And as you stand, I'm going to invite people around you to gather around you. So if you feel like God is moving in some way, go ahead and stand where you are and we'll move into this time. As people are standing, I'm just going to invite you to look around. If there's somebody near you, I'm going to invite you to just move towards them. You can go ahead and stand, move towards the people who are standing. If you're nowhere near somebody, you can just pray where you are. But please do that now. If somebody's standing, man, that's a step of faith. That's courageous. We want to gather around them as the body of Christ and pray. And so just do that now. Don't wait for me on this. Gather around them. Begin to pray. You don't know the whole story, but you know God's at work. And after a couple minutes, I'll close our time in prayer. Father, thank you so much, Father, that you are a God who is worthy of our full attention. Thank you that you are a God who's shown yourself to be faithful. And Father, I pray for each one of us. I pray that we would trust you enough to give you our hearts. And Father, we pray for the kids you've entrusted to all of us, that they will know you in deep ways. I pray for those who have stood, and I pray that you lead them through affirmation that you are with them in what you're calling them to do. I pray that you do that through the power of your spirit and through the power of the brothers and sisters that have physically demonstrated that. I pray that you give them courage. And Father, I pray that you give them glimpses of ways that you are at work through their faithfulness. We lift all of us up before you, Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Have a wonderful and blessed rest of your Sunday.